is from um, John 14, verses 1 to 17. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name... I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. If you're wondering why verse uh, 16 and 17 aren't in your little booklets, it's because they only snuck in this morning, uh, magically. But um, uh, it's important for us to think about those things as well. But let's pray so that we can ask God for his uh, wisdom and his spirit to work within us so that we can have, um, yeah, understanding of, of what we're talking about here. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes now, open our hearts to receive from you uh, what you have for us this morning. Through your spirit, Lord, we pray that you will um, give us great insight and change our hearts so that we will love you more deeply uh, through the word this morning. So we pray for your guidance as we look at this together. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, first is the problem. What is our problem? I'd like to suggest to you that our problem as human beings, the thing that we all suffer from is that we are looking for a home. We all have this yearning, this this ache within us to return to the place where we belong. The story of humanity is a story of looking for home. Now, 
some of us, you know, the home city might be uh, the, the city at the end of the corporate ladder. You enter this journey as an intern and you walk the road uh, and you can see your home as you get promoted to manager and you'll see how much better life will be, how much more interesting life will be when you get that role. The pay will be more, the responsibility will be more, the work will be more interesting than the data entry you're doing now, uh, the power and respect will be greater. And so we devote ourselves to the journey, to the road, to promotion, and our eyes never leaving quite the city, the manager's city, where we think we will find our happiness and peace. And then after a while of hard work and dedication, sweating on the road, we get to the city. And for a while, we rather like living there. The work is interesting, the money is good, the respect is lovely, the people value your opinion, and that's great, and you like your neighbours, and for a little while, you feel at home. But then one day, not long after you've settled, or we've settled into our new spiritual home, we look up, and there in the distance, we see the next city beckoning us onward, calling us kind of like a siren in the seas. Now that city has a bigger office, a corner office. The lights are more shiny. The budget there has a greater surplus. Other more influential people live there too. And what we realize at that moment is actually that's what we've been looking for the whole time. That's actually what we've been working towards, journeying towards. And this manager city where we're living right now is really just a stop on the road to that city. Deep in our soul, we get the sense that we were meant to play tennis on those tennis courts, not the shabby ones of manager land. And so we set out on the journey to that senior leadership city. And eventually you might even get there. And then when you get there, the same thing happens. What feels like home soon loses its homeliness. And we notice a better city on a different journey. And the next destination in the horizon calls us on. There is always another place, always another home to be found, another net destination that beckons us with the promise that once you get here, you will finally find rest. We are all people looking for a home and most of us live in that world. We walk from one signpost to the next, looking for that next thing that will make us happy. The landscape may change, but the pattern remains the same. The landscape might be the corporate world, as we've talked about. Or the landscape might be relationships with other people, hoping to find that one person who will finally make you happy and feel at home, moving from person to person until they ultimately disappoint you, as they inevitably do. Or the landscape might be escape, you know, looking for a distraction after distraction, hoping to quiet the restlessness within our hearts. The landscape might be family or children or a myriad of other things, but the pattern stays the same. We go from city to city, from signpost to signpost, always looking to fill that ache for home. Now we deal with this in a bunch of different ways. Number one is to follow the road, thinking that eventually we will finally get that thing that gives us this ultimate happiness. I would argue that most people in the world probably do this. They go from one thing to the next to the next, 
And the hunt ultimately exhausts them. But they keep going because really there is no other way that they can see to live. One of the brilliant philosophers of this age, um, his name is Albert Camus, or Albert Camus, as some people call him, but he's French, so it's Camus. Um, he puts it this way. Now, he, he's not a Christian, he, but he also recognized this eternal drive to do this next thing and the next and the next. Uh, but the world that he lives in doesn't answer our deepest need. He, he recognizes that, he, but he, for him the world is silent. And he puts it this way. He says, man stands face to face with the irrational. He feels within him his longing for happiness and reason. The absurd is born out of this confrontation between the human need and the unreasonable silence of the world. So what he's saying is that everyone has this deep need and desire, but he can't figure it out. For him, it's this absurdity because life doesn't give you that. He recognizes the need, but he doesn't have the solution. He writes in another place, There always comes an hour when one is weary of one's work and devotion to duty, and all you crave is for a loved face, the warmth and wonder of a loving heart, the need for home. So walking from city to city, from signpost to signpost, leads to exhaustion because you can never find that thing, that warmth and that wonder of a loving heart that satisfies the human need is not available in this world. And so that's way number one. Way number two is to deal with this desire in a more sophisticated way. And this is the way that sort of the um, self-help world has been trying to sell us for the last, say, 50 years or so. And that's to redefine uh, the desire for home in the city as the journey. So find your home in the journey. The home is the road. To convince ourselves here, that the aim is here to convince ourselves that this deep drive within us to look for home doesn't exist, but life is all about the journey. The destination actually doesn't matter, they will say. And this is attractive to us because the road doesn't have any rules. If you stuff up somewhere, you can just move on to the next place. If you fail, it doesn't matter because it's all part of learning. It's all part of the journey. It's all part of life and you can just move on to the next stop in life. Many gurus and motivational speakers will sell this vision of life as having the most meaning. Oprah says, for example, uh, it is confidence in our bodies, minds and spirits that allow us to keep looking for new adventures, new directions to go in, new lessons to learn, which is what life is all about. In other words, as long as you're traveling, as long as you're experiencing new things, then you are living. But as soon as that stops, then you've stopped being alive. But the problem is here that the road isn't home. A way is a way to something. Living for the road ultimately leaves you anchorless, swaying in the wind, having nothing and no one to return to. If all we live for, friends, is experiences on the road, then our lives ultimately become meaningless. Because experience without an anchor is meaningless. It has no meaning. The teacher in Ecclesiastes tells us this. He looks across all the experiences you can have in the world. He devotes himself to wealth 
or women or pleasure or relationships or all kinds of different things and in the end he says vanity vanity everything is vanity a chasing after the wind the idea that we can somehow find true and lasting joy by making the road of experience our home is just a lie it doesn't provide us with that home that our hearts are aching for that is our problem so if it doesn't help to keep chasing the the city step by step and it doesn't help to help redefine home uh, as the road then what should we do? What hope is there for us? How can we deal with this ongoing deep desire to find meaning, a place where we truly belong? Well, Jesus tells us that there is a third way, a way which gives, the, which gives us both a journey with meaning and a home, a deep eternal home that we've been looking for. And so if that's the problem, here's the solution from verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. uh, uh, Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus gives us an answer to this existential angst we feel. This need to find a home. He says of himself, I am the way the truth and the life. Now, notice that Jesus is making an incredible claim here. He's sitting with his disciples in what in theological circles we call the upper room discourse. Now, this is, um, uh, this is the part of the story where Jesus is on his way, he's just about to go to the cross. This is just before his crucifixion. Judas has left already, he's left the, the Last Supper, he's gone to betray Jesus, and so Here Jesus is giving his disciples the last bit of teaching and training, the last bit of radical training he can give them before he dies. These are uh, the last things that he says. And so with all things that um, that are the last words of someone, they have this special weight. You know, if if you're sitting next to someone who's about to die and they want to tell you something that's on their heart, you take those words seriously. It's like a parent talking to a child just before they know the end is coming. The words carry extreme weight. And the weighty words that Jesus wants his disciples to have and understand is that he is the way, the truth and the life. Now, what does he mean by this? Jesus means that he is the one who answers this deep longing for home. He has the answer to this this existential angst question. He simultaneously is both pointing out the reasons we have this deep desire to find home and the solution to the problem. Firstly, when Jesus says he's the way, he's saying he's the way back to God the Father. He's the way to eternal life. 
He's referencing the fact that uh, human relationship, like our relationship with God, is broken. That we've all been separated from God because of our sin. You know, we were created to walk and talk with God in the cool of the day, but instead we just want to hide from Him because of our sin and brokenness. And in fact, God ensures that there is this gap for our own good, that He doesn't destroy us as soon as He sees us. One of the very first things that God does, for example, in Genesis chapter 3, just after uh, the fall of sin, we read this in verse 24. So this is God. He drove out the man and stationed cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard their way to the tree of life. There is this separation uh, between us and God. Uh, we have this deep longing to be here with God, but we're cut off from it because of our sin. And Jesus says, I am the way. You can get back here. You can get back in a relationship with God. You can come back into that walking and talking type relationship with God that we crave. How? Through Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. But he's not only the way, he's also the truth. Jesus here means that he is a true representation of God. He is the revelation of God to humanity. Now, Jesus shows us, he says, who God the Father is. That's why he says, if you know me, you know my Father. There's no, there's no hidden signpost here. He's not like one of those cities that you devote yourself to, ultimately to have to go to the next one. He uh, he actually points us not to the next city but to himself because that is uh, his character is the same as the character of God. He, he doesn't just give us a promise of life, he actually gives us life. Jesus says, if you know him, you know the Father. He is not just some stop on the journey, a hotel at which you overnight at, he is the destination. In a very real sense, he is the true answer that your heart has been looking for since the day you were born. And he shows us what the kingdom looks like and what life is supposed to look like. He is God's word and God's good news to the world. And in a very real sense, when Jesus goes to the cross in his death and resurrection, he is God's message to the world saying, if you believe in this, then you are welcome home. So we need Jesus' truth. Because we live in a world that is dominated by the lies of the enemy, by Satan's lies. Do you remember how the grand story we find ourselves in begins? The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and he says, Did God really say? He wants them to doubt God's words as a lie. And we've been believing lies about who God is and about where we can find happiness and about what we should desire and shouldn't desire in life since the very beginning. But we need the truth of Christ to show us the fact that he is the way. Because this is what Satan wants for you. He wants you to keep looking for the next city to keep trying to find a spiritual home that doesn't actually provide you rest. He wants you to believe that you won't be happy unless 
you indulge yourself in all kinds of wickedness under the guise of being free on the road. But the Bible calls him a liar and the prince of lies. And he wants you to believe that Jesus isn't really the way or that he isn't really the only way to get to God. You know, you need good works or you can get to God through other means. Every religion is just another way up the God mountain. These are the lies the devil wants you to believe. But Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is the life. There is life in him which we need because we are dead in our sin. You know, friends, each of us are uh, eternal beings. Death is not natural for us. We are eternal beings. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. We are eternal beings. And before us, we have either an eternity of life or an eternity of death. Those are the two options. Which one will be yours? You see, when we sin... uh, All we have is an eternity of death and destruction, suffering and pain. That's the payment for sin. That's the the wages of of sin uh, is death. And I don't want that. Maybe you do, but I don't. So we need to save, uh, we need someone to save us from this eternity. We need Jesus to come and transfer us out of this eternal dying into a life of eternal death. And that's exactly what happens on the cross. Every person who believes in Jesus, for every person who trusts in him, he takes our punishment, our eternal damnation, he takes it on himself and instead says, here is my perfect life. Now go and stand before God the Father and do so with confidence because he will judge you according to my life, says Jesus, my perfect life. You have nothing to fear. Eternal life will be yours. So Jesus is the life for us eternally. And so how do we get access to that? How, do, how does this eternal life become ours? Well, Jesus himself gives us the answer in this passage. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When that is us... He is there preparing a room, a house, a place for us to live, a home, an eternal home. Trust or faith or belief in Jesus is the instrument by which God applies the benefits of Jesus' life to us. When you trust in Christ, when you believe in him, when you believe that he took your sin on himself, he died in your place, when you believe that, you are saved and he gives you his life. And you know what, friends? This gives you an eternal home. Jesus promises here for all believers everywhere an eternal home where we no longer have to wander through life as sojourners trying to find the place that will soothe the ache in our hearts. Directly after this, Jesus says, if you believe in me, he tells us what the result of our faith will be. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? 
Jesus says, I'm going home to make some space for you. And if you trust in Christ, then that's true of you as well. You and I, friends, don't need to wander anymore. If we believe in Jesus, we don't have to chase after one neon-lit city after another or delude ourselves into thinking that happiness will be found on the road because we already have a home. Jesus has made that home ready for us. But in having found a home, having had the, the ache in our hearts quieted and stilled, Jesus redirects our lives and gives us work to do. So the problem is that we want a home. The solution is Christ, but then he gives us work to do. So let's spend a couple of minutes just briefly thinking about the work. Uh, from verse 12, Jesus says, Truly I tell you that the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I want to admit straight up, that is tricky. That is a tricky part of Scripture. Someone who just shut those doors, that would be swell. Thanks, Mia. Now, I have to admit that this is a tricky part of Scripture because I don't know about you, but I believe in Jesus and I have yet to walk on water or calm a storm or raise someone from the dead. Maybe you're different, but my life as a Christian hasn't been marked by those experiences. So what then does Jesus mean when he says, if you believe in him, you will do the works that he does. In fact, you will do even greater works than what he has done because he's going to the Father. Now, various people interpret this passage in various different ways, but I actually think that when you think about this passage in the broad big picture scheme of what the Bible is saying, the big picture story we've been following and exploring, it's actually relatively simple. So let me rewind the clock a little bit. Because we need to think about what happens to earth when Adam and Eve sin. In that moment, when Adam and Eve sin, Adam transfers himself and Eve and all of humanity under him over to Satan's dominion. Okay, so he says, here Satan is control over the whole earth for you. You rule over it. I was supposed to be the, the ruler of the earth, the one to subdue it, but that is now yours. So Adam and Eve placed themselves under Satan's authority. And we see an example of, uh, we see this for example when um, the, the, the fact that Satan has dominion over the earth in Luke chapter 4. So there Jesus has, has been taken into the desert, he's being tempted for 40 days, and one of the temptations is that Satan takes Jesus up to this high place, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I can give you all of this, because all of it has been given to me. If only Jesus would bow down to Satan, Jesus could have all of that. Now notice, Jesus doesn't argue with Satan, he doesn't rebuke him, he doesn't say, well actually all of this is mine. No, at that point and at that stage in the world, Satan does have power and dominion over the world. And then so as Jesus goes on with his life, he gathers his band of disciples around him, he starts his work. What is the work that Jesus is doing? He has come to seek and save the lost, to announce the kingdom of God, and to usher that kingdom into the world. 
So Jesus' work is to undo Satan's dominion over the earth and to start ushering in God's kingdom. And all of his miracles point to that. All of his miracles point to what God's kingdom is going to be like. Where there was death, there will be life. Where there was disease, healing will reign. Where there was demon oppression, people are set free. Where there was dearth, there will be plenty of food and drink. God's kingdom is this land flowing with milk and honey. We looked at that a few weeks ago. That is Jesus' work, to usher in the kingdom. Now notice that the work is not the miracles. The miracles pointed to the work. So the miracles pointed to God's kingdom breaking into the world. And so Jesus was showing people what God's kingdom was going to be like. Now when Jesus says to believers that you will do greater work than me, he is saying that the effectiveness of proclaiming this kingdom will be more, will be higher, will be more effective than what Jesus is able to do on earth. Let me explain. In Jesus' own ministry, he collects these 12 disciples around him. Now, remember who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He has these people walking with him for three, four years, being taught by him every day, seeing miracles left, right and centre, being instructed by the best teacher in the whole universe, and their faith is as flaky as anything. When it comes to the crucifixion, not even... Jesus' 12 stayed with him. In a sense, Jesus could not even fully convert their own hearts. But then what happens afterwards is that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And what happens directly after that? Simon Peter, the one who deserts Jesus, denies him three times. He gets up to preach. He preaches one sermon and 3,000 people are saved in that moment. Why? Because Satan's power over the earth has been broken. Jesus has wrestled back dominion over the world. That doesn't mean that Satan's not still active or that his people are not still active in, on the earth. But who owns the earth? Jesus does. He is the King of Kings and the Lords of, uh, Lord of Lords. And so when Jesus says you will do greater works than he, ushering in the kingdom, proclaiming the good news, coming to seek and save the lost, that's what he means. We can share the gospel with confidence because the Holy Spirit has come. And in this passage uh, that follows the, the next couple of verses, Jesus explains then how the Holy Spirit is going to work. But we don't have time to deal with that. And so the problem is we want a home. The solution is that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the work he gives us then is to point other people to him, which you and I can do with confidence because the Holy Spirit has come and he lives in our hearts. So friends, having found your home in Christ, you are called to share Jesus with those around him, to announce the kingdom, to be part of the work which Jesus began all those years ago. So abandon the road that promises to fulfill you through experiences. Abandon this hunt for a new spiritual home because you have one 
in Christ. He's gone to heaven to prepare it for you. That's done. And having found your home in Christ, commit yourselves to this greater work that he is calling you to. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Having found your home in Christ, become his worker. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to recognise that your Holy Spirit is powerful and works in and also, as we have seen, through us. What a gift to be on this side of the cross where you have wrestled away the power from Satan, where you have broken his dominion and you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Oh Lord, we thank you. Now we pray that you through your Holy Spirit will so align our hearts to yours that we too will live a life of announcing your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.